Amen. What a blessing it is to worship with you this morning and to reflect upon the greatness of our God, the love that he has for us, and of course the Lord Jesus Christ being involved in all of this. Today we continue in our series, Who is the Holy Spirit? We've been asking this question and answering it throughout our series, and today we're going to continue in this study of the fruit of the Spirit. Those who are filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, are going to manifest various things. And we've been looking at those things as we see them communicated to us through that passage in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. And today's fruit, the piece of the fruit, is faithfulness. We want to talk about faithfulness. We read the Old Testament passage this morning in Deuteronomy to remind us of how seriously God takes our faithfulness. You read through the passage, we looked at that, and you saw very clearly that God gave promises for obedience, and he also promised things that weren't so positive for disobedience and unfaithfulness. We look at the New Testament, and we find there that God certainly doesn't change his mind about us being obedient. And there is something that is added to it that enables us to continue on by grace and to be faithful. And that is the added element of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. New Testament believers have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. I believe something that's received instantaneously upon their profession of saving faith. And that indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is what allows us to have the capacity to be obedient and to be faithful. Certainly not perfection, but certainly a manifestation of a life well lived for God's glory by remaining faithful. All of this can only be done through the Holy Spirit. None of us today, by thinking hard enough, by memorizing enough scripture, or by praying long enough, can accomplish our own faithfulness. It truly is a gift from God through his spirit which enables us to ever put forth anything that even halfway resembles faithfulness. So it's not a work of ourselves, and today's message is not meant to be a spiritual self-help talk. That's not what it is. I hope that as we study this together that we will see the various aspects of it and realize that we are more dependent on the Holy Spirit than ever before. And that we will leave here not just resolving to do better, but resolving to depend more on the gracious work of the Spirit in our hearts, which will be seen in our lives. And so I just want to talk to you for the remaining time that we have together today about this aspect of faithfulness. And the first thing that I want to do is to drive us down on the faithfulness of God. Because as we talk about these various characteristics, as we look at the various aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, which we've been doing now for, for weeks, all of them find their place perfectly in the character and nature of God. He stands above all as the example for us to follow. And then in his character and nature, we find those things, but we also see them vividly displayed in the life and ministry of Jesus, don't we? 
So if we find them in the character and nature of God, the very essence of who God is, we can look then to the narratives that describe for us how Jesus lived and how he ministered, and we will find there perfectly all of these characteristics as well. So it's very important to us when we're studying topics like this to make sure that we find the foundation of them, and we do well to see that foundation in the very character and nature of God. So we want to start there today and just look at a handful of things that remind us of God's faithfulness in its various aspects. The first thing that I want to draw us to think about today is that God is faithful to his word and he cannot lie. God is trustworthy. He is truly in, full of integrity. He is integrity. It's not just that he is a being of integrity. He is integrity. He cannot lie. Look at Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man who lies or a son of man who changes his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? So in this narrative, we find a very clear enunciation of a piece of the character and nature of God. Unlike human beings, who are prone to be dishonest because of their depravity, because of their sinful nature. Unlike them, God is distinct. And in that distinction, he is full of truth. He only tells the truth, and he's only able to tell the truth. He cannot lie. So again, just like all of the other characteristics that we look at in the character and nature of God, it's not just that God doesn't lie. He can't lie. It's not just that God is faithful. He cannot be unfaithful. All of that is locked down. There's never going to be a moment in time, past, present, or future, where God's faithfulness will at any point be jeopardized. He can't even be tempted with unfaithfulness. He is God. He's faithful to his word, and he cannot lie. We also find from Deuteronomy that God is faithful to love and to be merciful. Know that Yahweh your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commands. There is the durability of God's love. There is the durability of him being kind and gracious to his people who love him and keep his commands, and he does so for a thousand generations in his mercy and in his love. Rock-solid faithfulness. We could also go to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we find there that God is faithful, and because of this faithfulness, his word is going to stand. Be reminded of this. Not just last, but it lasts forever. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. By obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower fails. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached as the gospel to you. So there we have this connection between who God is and his word. 
and it truly stands forever so that the gospel witness will always be there. His word will always be there. We can depend on it. We can stand on it. We know that it's never going away. It truly is the foundation of the church, and it's always going to be there, never in jeopardy. God is faithful. Well, there's another aspect of his faithfulness. He's faithful, and he will see us through to the end as well. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 reminds us of this truth. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. He is faithful to see us through to the end. He has given us the gift through Jesus of eternal life. That eternal life is solid. It's, it can't expire. We can't lose it. And he is going to see that we persevere to the end by his grace. He is faithful and he's going to accomplish his design for us by changing us according to his word and by bringing about our sanctification by his spirit. And it will happen. It's going to happen because he is faithful and he will perform it. We're in this marathon right now where we have to cooperate with the Spirit every day to become more and further transformed into the image of God. And hopefully we're coming along well in that process. But there is coming a day when the process will be completed and perfected in us. And God is the one, because of his faithfulness, that sees us through every day now of our present sanctification all the way through to our glorification. It will happen. Why? Because God is faithful. We also want to comment on his immutability. It means that he doesn't change. We could go back to the original verse in Numbers 23 that we looked at as far as God not lying. And he's also not a man in that he doesn't change his mind. Hebrews chapter 13 reminds us of this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then in chapter 6, so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. Because of the faithfulness of God in the fact that he can only speak truth and he'll remain faithful to his word, that is the foundation of our hope. If God wasn't faithful, we could have no hope this morning. The fact that he is faithful doesn't change his mind, can't lie, guarantees his word to stand forever, and certainly promises to us that he will see us through to the end. All of that equals our hope. Without any of those elements or any of those things being compromised in any way, we are absolutely hopeless and helpless this morning. But the truth is we are not because God is faithful. And it is that faithfulness to which God calls us to. We can't be as faithful as God in this life. Not going to happen. But God sets forth in his own love and concern for us his example. 
and he calls us to passionately pursue his character and nature in this way as we are enabled by the Holy Spirit. Let me just talk about some practical things, the meaning of faithfulness. We say God is faithful, and certainly we want to make this human as well to, to talk about what is it to us? What are some words? What are some phrases that we can talk about to make this real to us that we can connect to and live out in our life? We think of the word steadfastness. To be faithful is to be steadfast. As I was thinking through this part of our time together today, it struck me that Jenison Bible Church as a faith community has been blessed with people who are steadfast. And, and I'm not going to call anyone out by name this morning or embarrass anyone, but it is a beautiful thing to look out even this morning at our 8.30 gathering and to see so many people who have been faithful to the Lord and who have been steadfast. Just like clockwork, right? You're here, you're growing in grace and the knowledge of Jesus, you perform your service and your ministry well, and it's just people know it's going to happen because they see God's grace in your life and they understand that you have a commitment to being steadfast. I'm, I'm thankful for that today. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm full of gratitude that God has given us so many people who are steadfast. Continue to pursue that. That's what faithfulness is. Remaining committed not just to doing things, but to being who God has called you to be and growing in grace. It's not just an outward thing. It starts in the heart, and we've talked about that with all of the other things as well in this series. Faithfulness is carefulness to keep a trust. God has entrusted us with the message of the gospel. And he has said to us as he has given us that, in fact, we, we saw that back up in one of the other verses that, that tied in these things being preached to you as the gospel. These things are going to stand forever. He has entrusted us with that everlasting gospel that he has promised to preserve through his word that has been entrusted to us. And we're to take that gospel and we're to embrace the life of making disciples. Making disciples. And in that process, you have various things, don't you? You have the presentation of the gospel. You have baptism of those who believe. And then you have the discipleship process of mentoring those who have believed to maturity in their faith. That is what making a disciple is all about. I want you to consider your part of keeping the trust as it specifically relates to the communication and dissemination of the gospel to people who have not yet believed. We're going to drive down on this in the next year. Very shortly, hopefully sometime this week, you're going to receive a letter from me. And I'm going to talk about a few different things in that letter. I'm actually sending it old school snail mail. Okay, how many of you appreciate that kind of letter still? Okay, I figured with all the digital stuff, if I just sent you another email, you wouldn't even read it. Okay, so I'm going to send it to you in your mailbox, all right? So get ready and, and read it. And one of the things that I want to talk to you about in that letter in a particular way is that we would consider the trust that we have of the gospel and the fact that we have to take it to people who still haven't believed. 
What does that look like for you as an individual? What does that look like for us as a body, as a faith community? We've been given this trust. We have to take it to people who don't know Jesus. How do we do that? Well, at some point, we have to engage unbelievers, don't we? We have to be purposeful and intentional about getting to know, building relationships with people who don't know Jesus. How do we do that? Well, hopefully you'll wrestle with that individually, and we want to talk about some ways throughout the next year and beyond that we can do that as a faith community. So we can put in front of you opportunities where we will intentionally try to get to know and to build relationships with people who don't know Jesus. Why would we even do that? We've been given this trust. God has entrusted us with this making of disciple process, and if we're missing a piece of it, we're not going to be effective in it. And I want us all to carefully consider through prayer and reading of the scriptures and a sensitivity to the leading of the Spirit about how many people we're engaging who don't know Jesus. Because what happens to us often in Christianity is we get in our bubble and we just kind of live there. It's kind of comfortable. I like my bubble probably as much as you like yours. But let's break the bubble. Let's move outside of the bubble and let's truly engage those who don't know Jesus. Let's leverage all of the resources that God's given us to do that. And we have plenty of gifts that God's given that we can use. And I just want to help us to think about it and encourage us to move forward in that direction. Faithfulness also can be termed by using this word reliable. Faithfulness is reliability. To just perform well out of a heart that's been changed by the gospel for the glory of God and for the good of others. Reliability. Biblical faithfulness requires belief in what the Bible says about God, his existence, his work, and his character. Just believe who God is. Believe these things that God has said. Allow them to serve as your example and passionately pursue your own faithfulness. I don't know who you think about from the scriptures when you think about faithfulness, but there's an example that I just want to spend a few minutes looking at today. And the example that I want to look at with you today is Daniel. We're going to look into chapter 6 in, in, in several minutes from now, but you'll have a few verses that will come up on the screen between now and then. But I want you to find your places in Daniel 6 in a few moments, and we're just going to look there in that chapter. But Daniel is an example, not because Daniel was a great man. Daniel had a great God. If you look at the things that Daniel persevered through and was able to accomplish, you, you look at it and you go, there's no way a human being on their own could ever do that. So don't get caught up in thinking that Daniel is some superhero. He's not. He's a common man, just like you, just like me, okay? He's a common human being that just decided that he was going to trust God trust in God's faithfulness, and allow that to serve as a motivation for his own faithfulness. And so as he submits to that, he is enabled by the Spirit of God and by God himself to give us an example today. Again, not because he had discovered the secret. <laughs> he wasn't any more uh, a follower of God than we are. He truly had his own struggles. He had his own depravity. The difference was 
He trusted in a great God and allowed him to serve as his motivation for faithfulness. So let me just point out a few things about the faithfulness of Daniel because of the grace of God, and maybe these things will help us today. Daniel remained faithful while experiencing the unexpected. You know, sometimes the unexpected things in life throw us a curveball and faithfulness gets tossed right out the window. We don't respond well. We don't handle it well. Uh, How many of you just do not like surprises? Anybody else with me today? Okay. Uh, Me neither. So Daniel 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. There's your unexpected element. The Lord handed Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. And Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. So we have this invasion, we have this unexpected situation as it unfolds, and we see that Daniel and his friends are taken captive. We're not going to read all the narrative, but this is what happens. The unexpected. Daniel found himself in an un- with unexpected events that ended up with him being in an unexpected location. He was totally shocked and surprised, and he handled it well. He completely navigated the, the unexpected, the surprise by the grace of God, And he doesn't allow these things that were less than attractive, that were less than comfortable, that were less than expected to cause him to swerve away from being faithful to his God. He could have used these things, as many have before and since, to be unfaithful. But Daniel rises above this by the grace of God. Do that. Purpose to do that. Trust God with the unexpected. Well, there's more. Daniel trusts God while not being in control. How many of you don't like not being in control? Okay, we're very uncomfortable there, right? Well, Daniel found himself. He had no choice, right? Among them from the descendants of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them other names. They even changed their names on these poor guys. The name Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Tibet, I mean Abednego to Azariah, right? Many things happening to these people, Daniel and his friends, that they had no control over. They just found themselves in situation after situation where God was allowing some of these very difficult things into their life, even getting their names changed. You know, these types of things often can cause us to, to be full of anxiety, They can often cause us to make really bad decisions and ultimately lead to unfaithfulness because our expectations are not met, because we feel as though we have no control, and it presses us and pushes us away from God instead of pressing us closer to him in trust. Learn how to trust God when you're not in control. Understand that God will place you in a situation like this to grow and strengthen your faithfulness. Relish the desperation by allowing it to motivate you to deeper trust and faith in God. Somehow these men, well we know how, right? Enabled by God to be faithful while not being in control. There's something else that happens to them. Look at verse 8. 
Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So he asked permission from the chief official not to defile himself. It was a matter of conscience for Daniel. And you could even find some traces of, of commands back in further previously in the Old Testament that Daniel would have probably violated had he partaken of the food that was offered to him. It was a matter of conscience regardless. And he was tempted to compromise what he believed in concerning the food that was being offered to him. Many people believe that one of the major things that's involved here is that this food was so involved in the practice of idolatry that Daniel considered it a sin and something evil to partake of the food. It was a matter of conscience. Many make the point that it would have even caused him to violate the very commands of God. And so he decides, no, I cannot do this. It is something I cannot do. Well, he was tempted with this. I'm imagining that it was some of the best cuisine that you could think of in that day. And Daniel said no. He didn't just say no. We know that he had an alternate plan. He asked for a, a different kind of diet, and he was granted that request, as we know. But nonetheless, he was faced with an opportunity to compromise. He was faced with an opportunity to sin against his own conscience, and he chose to be faithful to God. A beautiful example for us today. The thirdly, we find him being faithful while patiently waiting on God. Daniel had to wait on God. Joseph had to wait on God. Many of these men and ladies in the Old Testament had to wait on God. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. At the end of the time that the king had said to present them, the chief, uh, chief uh, officer presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to serve in the king's court. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the diviner priests and mediums in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Many years. A period of time. Daniel in, in the waiting room, so to speak. You just got to kind of wonder if Daniel even realized or knew or had any type of, of inclination of what God was doing or what he was bringing to pass. We, we, we doubt seriously that Daniel had the details, but he patiently waits on God. He's trusting during this entire time of this entire process of, of being found to be excellent. He passed the test. He remained true even though given an opportunity to compromise. And he just continues on for God's glory. The final thing I want to point out to you about faithfulness in Daniel is that he did so while facing death. We know the story, don't we? Let's just turn there. If you want to turn there to Daniel chapter 6. We know what's happening. Again, here is his commitment when tempted to compromise and, and not pray. We find in verse 10, it is, of Daniel 6, three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. And so this wasn't a show that Daniel was putting on. Again, this is part of the faithfulness 
in God's waiting room that Daniel exhibits, his prayer. He's waiting, just waiting for God to do his work. He keeps praying. It wasn't something he just decided to do because he was told he couldn't, right? This was a part of Daniel's daily routine. And so he prays. And these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So then they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? Of course, according to the Medes and the Persians, the decree stood. And the men pursue and continue. And what happens? Verse 16. So the king gave the order. They brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. So the stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles. So that Daniel's situation might not be changed. The king returned to his palace, spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. But here was Daniel's faithfulness tested about as far as someone can be tested, right up unto death. Now we know God miraculously rescues him. He comes out of the lion's den. The people who came against him suffer the fate intended for him. Now, that being said, the story doesn't always end that way, does it? Can you think of stories in the Bible that didn't end that way? I think of John the Baptist, right? Gave his life, being faithful to God. I think of all the martyrs in church history, giving their lives, being faithful to God. I think of the persecuted church around the world today who does so, putting their own life at risk, right? being faithful to God. So the story doesn't always have a happy ending of rescue. But these stories have one thing in common. And that is you have people who are so submitted to the Spirit of God and dedicated to the cause that by God's grace they are enabled even to face death while remaining faithful. And so let's talk about it as we close cultivating this faithfulness in our own lives. We can't accomplish it, but we can cooperate with the process. And in that way, it's cultivated. Three very simple yet profound truths. Number one, be in the word. You cannot reach a level of faithfulness to the extent that you are willing to die for, for being faithful unless you are totally convinced of the very words of Scripture. That, again, that's the foundation and the basis for all faithfulness. God knew this as he was talking through Joshua uh, to the people and giving, giving uh, clear commands to Joshua. He wanted Israel to stay true and stay faithful. And how was it that they were going to do it? We know these verses, don't we? Be strong, courageous, for you will distribute the land that I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to carefully observe the whole instruction that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right, to the left, so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
not, this passage is not just an exhortation to be in the word, the written word of God, and the law in particular as it is given here in this context. It is also a reminder of who God is, and that's why it's so important to be in the word. You're reminded of the character and nature of God. The very end of this final verse, verse 9, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is faithful. He's with you. He's not going to bail. He's not going to leave you. And in order to understand his faithfulness and be encouraged in your own faithfulness, time in the word is indispensable and a necessity for every believer. I believe we also need to pray. Romans 12, 12 reminds us, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. The Apostle Paul writes of it as well. He just says, pray without ceasing in his letter to the Thessalonians. Prayer. We saw that in the life of Daniel, didn't we? Three times a day, as he had done before, under the threat of death. He knew the king's decree, but he also knew that prayer was an indispensable part of his relationship with his God. And so he chose to remain committed to the spiritual discipline and exercise whereby God was able to continue molding him and shaping him to be faithful. Pray without ceasing. And for us, something that Daniel didn't have, of course, that we do today, is gather with the church. It's the gathering of coming together that helps promote these kinds of things in our life, cultivating faithfulness. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Let's be faithful for he who promised is faithful. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I don't want to oversimplify this. It, it can be challenging. But these are three indispensable parts to us cultivating and cooperating with the Spirit in our own faithfulness. Don't neglect them. I like the language in Hebrews 10. Do them even more as you see the day drawing 